0: How's it going? hope you're all well and safe and you're welcome to my first podcast. Thanks a million for coming on board and I hope you enjoy listening. For years and years, people have been asking me about the making of the various albums and how the different pieces of the jigsaw get put into place. And seeing that I have plenty of time now to think about it, um, I'm trying to remember all the way back to 1989, which is when I did my first album. It's an album called The Winkles Tapes 1989 and I'm going to try to describe in detail about the recording of it and how it came about etc. So um, just a few months before my 21st birthday I was really lucky to have been offered the chance to do a solo album by my good friends John Dunford and Philip King and they're great friend and working partner uh, slash partner in crime, uh, John Kennedy, otherwise known as Jake. As everybody knows, albums cost a lot of money. So it goes without saying that I was and I still am extremely grateful to all those three lads for taking a chance on me at the time. I had actually been wanting to do an album for a few years, but I didn't know how to go about it and raising money to do it etc. So I was very excited with this fantastic opportunity but I was also a bit nervous because uh, I was just nervous of recording studios. I'd been in various studios a, a few times in my earlier teens and even though I thoroughly enjoyed the experiences I found it a bit intimidating being in the recording studio. So I thought it might be a good idea to set up some recording equipment, somewhere I felt comfortable and relaxed. So I suggested the Winkles Hotel in Kinvara, which is 10 bedrooms. And uh, this place was like a a second home to me and to several other musicians from all over the country. And the owners of Winkles, Tony and Phil Moylan, were really, really good friends of mine. The plan was to make it like a proper studio album rather than a live album in a pub with cheering crowds or anything like that. I still can't actually believe how lucky I was to have some of the most amazing Irish musicians in, in the country or actually in the whole world who um, were on board to accompany me. The, the mighty Donald Lunny on bouzouki and the absolutely lovely Gerry Auburn on guitar. They had both agreed from the start to come on board and the plan was to do most of the tracks with either Gerry or Donal accompanying solo accordion. And I also had two sets of reels in mind that I wanted to do on the fiddle with my sister Mary on the banjo and Jerry on the guitar. So right, I'm going to take a break from the storytelling right now and we'll play one of those uh, fiddle guitar banjo tracks for you. So we'll play the Farlogara track, I think first, this is a, a set of three reels. First one is Farlogara, second one is Michael Kramer's reels, and the third one is The Providence. And um, this is one of the very many sets of reels that we played very, very late, one night in in preparation for the two sets of fiddle banjo guitar reels that we intended for the album. So I hope you enjoy it. okay, I'll talk to you after this. back to the storytelling so we set out three days and nights in May 1989 to set up in Winkles Hotel and there was also a plan to have some guest musicians and have an informal session and see what comes out of it play it by ear kind of a scenario maybe just for one or two tracks as a bonus at the end or something uh, we didn't really know we were just figuring it out as we were going along my great friends that I played with in and seven nights a week The previous two summers, Owen O'Neill, Kevin Griffin, Niall Sheedy and Mary Custy were on board for that idea. And also Breida and Cora Smith were there. I'm not sure, I can't remember now why Sean Smith wasn't there. Sean was a really, really good friend of mine at the time and still is. So there must have been a reason for that. I forget now. But anyway, Um, John Dunford, who is an absolutely brilliant soundman, had been recording Fisherman's Blues album in Spiddle with Waterboys the previous year. So he knew the lads really well. But imagine my enormous surprise and delight when Mike, Steve and Anto arrived down to Winkles on the second night. And I'll never forget the shock I got when I was told that Adam Claydon from U2 was also on his way to Winkles with his acoustic bass with him in the car. I nearly had to get someone to scrape me off off the ground. I was so surprised. (laughs) Adam was a good friend of Philip King. He was going to be working with Philip on Bringing It All Back Home, the television music documentary. So Philip invited him down. I presume it was Philip that invited him down. And Jake was also great friends with Adam because he was the production manager with U2 at the time. He worked with U2 for 30 years or more. Probably still works with them. I'm not sure. Um, So I suspect that (laughs) Jake was probably also involved in whatever arm twisting was done to persuade Adam to come to Winkles. He was a very brave man really to come to Galway to hang out with a load of musicians that he never met before. Anyway I'm so glad that he did come down because he was really lovely and so humble and he played some lovely bass on one of the tracks that ended up in the album. So now I'm going to play that particular track for you that Adam featured on and it's a a lovely set of jigs called Larry O'Gaff's. And, of course, the great Donna Lunni is also playing on this track, and he's doing a gorgeous intro. There's actually two jigs in the set. The first one is called John McKenna's, and the second one is called Larry O'Gaff's. So I hope you like them. to tell you that I learned the first jig John McKenna's from a great band called Patrick Street which featured the brilliant box player Jackie Daly. Jackie was a huge influence on me, is an absolutely top-class musician and I really really love all of his various recordings. So now getting back to the Winkles shenanigans, of course we had loads and loads of brilliant crack and late-night party. It goes without saying, I suppose. Sure, how could you not have some serious party with such a motley crew gathered in a place like Winkle's that already has madness in the air, even if there was no musicians around? But apart from all of that, we, we worked very hard on the music and we took the recording very seriously, making up all the different sets of tunes and arrangements. We did multiple takes of some of the tracks in the same way as you, as you would do in a regular recording studio. Most of the tracks that we selected for the album were recorded very late at night or early in the day when the pub was quieter. Some of what we selected are examples of us rehearsing and um, there's also sets of well-known tunes that we played just to get warmed up. We took a break every day at around six o'clock for dinner and we went across the road to Sarah's gorgeous restaurant. Uh, Rest in peace, poor Sarah, she passed away last year and uh, she was a lovely American lady who lived in Convera, and she was a big fan of the music and she used to be at all the sessions. Apart from two fiddle tracks, one called The Woodchoppers and another set of tunes called Miss Thompson's and The Dairy Reel that I did with my sister Mary on the banjo and Jerry on the guitar, which eventually ended up on my 1992 debut album. The rest of the Winkles recording never saw the light of day until November last year, 2019. And the tapes have, have been sitting on a shelf in Dublin gathering dust for the last 30 years. I had been asked several times over the years if I'd ever consider releasing the Winkles tapes. But to be honest, the thought of releasing a very exposed Warts and All recording from 30 years ago terrified me. It still does a bit, actually, because um, I know in my heart and soul that I can play better now. I'm glad to say, wouldn't it be a bit of a disaster if it was the other way around? Anyway, I must say a huge, huge thank you to my amazing friend, Mike Scott, for rooting out all these tapes again last year and listening through about 20 hours of music and talking and laughing and late night feck acting around and, picking out all the best bits and convincing me that they should be put out as a full album. But still, even though I trusted Mike and his instincts 100%, just the very thought of listening through it made me feel very uncomfortable. My memory of the recording from 30 years ago was very hazy, and I imagined that it was probably rough as hell, to say the least. Way back in 1989, when I first listened back to the tapes immediately following the recordings, there were only a few tracks that I considered good enough to release. Those were the, the, the fiddle and banjo tracks that I was just talking about there a while ago. Um, some of the tracks had annoying little mistakes and other noises and irritating stuff that uh, niggled at me. And um, all the Wintle's tracks were recorded onto dash, which is digital audio tape in two-track format. So editing them in 1989 would have been done on tape using a razor blade, it would have been very precise and lengthy and expensive process. So fast forward 30 years and recording and editing technology has advanced so much and is now all digital and it gives much more scope at tidying up what what couldn't be tidied in 1989. So when I did get into the studio last summer and saw what was possible It really helped me to make the decision to release this music to the public. Mike Scott loved the energy in the playing and I found that when my technical concerns about the recording could be addressed, only then I could appreciate Mike's enthusiasm for the project. So thank you so much, Mike. Overall, I'm absolutely delighted with it now and I'm very excited that it was finally released after all those years. Time for more music. The next one is called Moon Dance, and uh, this one is with the one and only Donna Lunny. And this tune was doing the rounds at the sessions at the Willie Tansy Week in 1986, which was my first time being there at the at the Willie Tansy School for the entire week. I learned the tune from a gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous accordion player and fantastic composer of tunes, Josephine Marsh from County Clare. I'll rewind back a few years because I want to explain to you how I ended up spending so much time in Canvara in my early 20s. And I want to tell you more about Winkle's Hotel itself and the man behind it all, the great Tony Moylan. People often ask me how the name Winkle's came about for the hotel. And I myself had assumed it was something to do with Winkle picking. But Tony's wife, Phil, told me that Tony's grandfather's name was Bal Winkle. Winkle was his surname. An unusual name. Bal Winkle and his wife Rose bought the building in 1914 and they operated it as a pub and a seed shop and then later it was run by their daughter Tiffy Winkle and her husband Kieran Moylan, Tony's parents. As a teenager during the mid to late 80s I spent a lot of time in Doolan, County Clare where there was and still is a thriving music scene. And as I said earlier, I played seven nights a week in McGann's and O'Connor's with my old music buddies, Owen O'Neill, Kevin Griffin and Niall Sheedy and sometimes Mary Custy as well. Living in Doolin was my first real taste of freedom and I enjoyed every second of it, every single second of it. Sometimes I used to take the bus to Galway to go shopping and the bus used to go through Kinvara. And I always admired that gorgeous little village through the bus window. And I was aware that musical heroes of mine, the absolute legendary musicians such as Jackie Daly and Charlie Piggott, were living in Kinvara at the time. And fiddle maestro Kevin Burke was living only down the road in neighbouring village of New Quay. And brilliant mandocello player Gary O'Brien was also living and still is living in New Quay. And I used to hear about regular sessions happening in various pubs in Kinvara and at Anne's Pub in New Quay, when their famous friends such as Seamus and Manus Maguire and other awesome musicians and Irish music giants would come and visit. I ended up moving to Galway in 1988, initially because thanks to bouzouki player Brendan O'Regan, I had been offered a job playing music with him for one of the Druid Theatre plays. I made loads of new friends in Galway and I had loads of session gigs and um, The same as my time in Doolin, every day I looked forward to a session (laughs) o'clock. I could go on for days, delving into the details of all the crack that we had. uh, But I don't want this podcast to go on for too long. So for anyone interested, I'm actually going to do another podcast soon on my other great times at Winkles and with Tony Mylan and and, uh, some equally larger than life characters around Kinvara and Galway City. Sadly, Cancer took poor old Tony in 2015 at the young age of 67. But he's very fondly remembered by Phil and his son Kieran and his daughter Sinead and all of us who are lucky enough to know him and love him. Tony would have been so proud to know that in August last year, on the 40th anniversary of Créinion Amoz, a plaque depicting him was unveiled at the head of Kinvara Pier. And a carved bench has been placed beside the plaque where people can come and sit down and uh, remember Tony and talk to him. So thanks to everyone involved for making the project finally come to light. But especially to Waterboy's Mike Scott, who was a driving force, and John Dunford, big time John as well. Thank you so much, John. I've dedicated the Wintles tapes to the memory of the late Tony Moylan. So uh, that's all I have for you now. And I hope you enjoyed listening. And if anyone wants to hear the Winkles tapes, it's available on Spotify and all online forms of streaming. So I'll finish with one last set of tunes for you. And it's a, a set of reels called Bonnie Kate with my old friend Owen O'Neill on the bazooki and my other old friend Mike Scott on the bow Bye bye and stay safe, everybody. Sláinte.